As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This podcast is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on demand. Learn more at directtv.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Big Football Show, a podcast by The Athletic about Big Ten football. Today is Wednesday, October 27th, and this is Scott Docterman, and I mostly write about Iowa. But today we're going to talk about the two big clashes in the East Division. Uh, first, I'm joined by The Athletic's Mitten State combo of Austin Meek, who covers Michigan, and Colton Pouncey, who covers Michigan State, and then later on in the podcast, we'll talk about Ohio State, Penn State with Bill Landis and Audrey Snyder, who cover the Buckeyes and Nittany Lions. So as as I'm getting prepared to cover the annual battle of two figurative upper Midwest lumberjacks in Madison, you, you two are writing about the most tangible lumberjack in collegiate sports, Paul Bunyan's trophy. First of all, thanks for joining the, the big football show today. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having us. Yeah, glad to talk to yeah, you. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. It's been a long time coming. Yeah, exactly. So both of you are, I guess, relatively new to the Michigan-Michigan State rivalry. I mean, and especially at this stage. And I can't remember a big meeting like this since 2015, which concluded in the, the greatest slash most infamous meet ending in college football history. Uh, what, so what's this week been like for you guys? I guess we'll start with Colton, uh, who's had to deal with a lot of stuff on campus this week. Yeah, it seems like, uh, you know, East Lansing is kind of the epicenter of uh, college football this weekend. And, you know, we got College Game Day coming to town, uh, Big Noon Show, some other shows are, are going to be on campus. So it's really been been cool to see them set up already. And, you know, people are, there's a ton of buzz around this town about this game, and rightfully so, when you have two teams that are 7-0 playing each other. Um, you know, I joined the speed in 2018 and, you know, Michigan State had kind of been on the downswing when I first arrived. I wasn't there for, you know, the 2015 game, trouble with the snap, some of these, you know, great D'Antonio moments. But um, I'm excited for this one. This is probably the most buzz I've seen heading into this game. Um, I think it's the first time that these two teams have been ranked inside the top 10 since 1964 playing each other. Um, so there's really this historical element to this game. And honestly, it's kind of filtered over into Twitter. My mentions for the past month or so have been a mess as we've seen this collision course kind of head this way. But 
Um, yeah, I'm glad it's finally here. I'm uh, really excited to cover it. What do you think, Austin? You, you came over, what, three years ago, I think it was, from Oregon. And, and what's kind of your, your impressions thus far of, of Michigan's kind of up and down rain over the, the time you've covered them and now going into this clash with the Spartans? Yeah, this is my third year on the Michigan beat, and it'll be my first trip to East Lansing for a Michigan-Michigan State game. And I feel like it's really the first time I'm, I'm getting the full experience of the Michigan-Michigan State rivalry because the first two years, you know, the, the program was down in Mark D'Antonio's last year at Michigan State, and then Mel Tucker came in, and nobody really knew what to expect last year. And then Michigan State, of course, upset Michigan at the big house last year. And so, you know, now I think that this rivalry, you know, with the two teams both undefeated and ranked in the top 10 and with Michigan certainly feeling like they have a score to settle from what happened last year, uh, you know, I, I think we're really getting the full experience of this rivalry uh, and, and what makes it so intense. You know, in Michigan, of course, there's so much focus on the Ohio State game and especially, you know, a couple of years ago. When, when Michigan seemed to be, you know, not too far away from Ohio State, it, it seemed like maybe the Michigan State rivalry had faded a little bit from the radar in terms of the most important games for Michigan fans. But now it, it's it's right back there, especially after last year. Um, you know, if, if, if you gave Michigan fans a truth serum and asked them which game they, they want to win the most, they'd probably still say Ohio State. Uh, but, but this one certainly is, is right up there. Um, and especially with the, with the big picture significance for Michigan of being seven and oh, and, you know, looking at the, the college football playoff picture, uh, looking at the Big Ten East race, there's, there's a lot at stake for Michigan in this game. Sure. I, I have some experience covering an in state rivalry. They're not in the same league, but this year it was a top 10 matchup and, uh, you know, it look, my Twitter mentions t- look like a tomato patch, you know, beaten down by a Zamboni, you know, by the end of the week, you know, from the back and forth. And, and there's always an uneven element to some of these rivalries. Rarely do they come in as, you know, the, the, the exact same in, the, in their motions and how they determine it. And I know in this one, <laughs> the most famous comment pretty much of all was Mike Hart's uh, little brother comment, what, about 15 years ago to, and then D'Antonio kind of ran with it and, then flip the, the rivalry all the way around. But are there is there any residue left over from that? Or is this kind of the team's kind of viewing it at an equal level? Let's start with you, Colton. Yeah, I mean, you definitely get that with the fan base. You know, I think every time around this year when these two teams play, I see those clips from D'Antonio's, you know, his first press conference, things like that. Um, kind of leaking over on Twitter. You always get some of that. Mike Hart's comments make their way around. Um but I think with the teams, you know, Mel Tucker is not really the type to kind of, you know, dive headfirst into that stuff. He's more, you know, we, we'll focus on what we what we want to do here and how we want to win this game. And I think that's kind of, you know, been passed down to the players, too. Um, I will say one thing that Mel did, you know, this kind of this time around, um, he had the, the players kind of learn the history of the Paul Bunyan trophy. And I guess um, there was some tension when Michigan State entered the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe Michigan didn't want them to enter. You know, I think there was some stuff that players didn't really want to allude to, but that's kind of what they're hinting at. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the history behind that. That's what uh, safety Xavier Henderson said on Monday. Um, so he, you know, he does get into it a little bit, but I don't think you'll see the public comments and the back and forth that D'Antonio was so great at, and that's what kind of made this rivalry great over the years too. You know, with Michigan, it's always been almost a level of snobbery uh, with 
every school in the Big Ten, frankly. Ohio State, well, we're academic superior. You know, Michigan State's little brother. Everybody else is is smaller than us. Is is <laughs> is that still part of the uh, the the foundation, if you will, Austin of the of the Michigan side of this rivalry, or is that kind of subsided over the years? No, I'm sure uh, internally. There's probably some of that uh, going on this week with Michigan, but I will say that they have been more restrained uh, mm-hmm. this week than in previous weeks. Probably part of that is um, you got to back it up, and Michigan lost the game last year, so they're not really in position to be to be talking a lot this week, uh, and they really haven't been. You know, it, it is. Um, you brought up the Mike Hart comment, and this will be Mike Hart's first game back on the sideline in East Lansing in, in Michigan gear. Uh, <laughs> so there is that element of it, uh, and that that has come up this week. But I think um, you know, I think Michigan got humbled a little bit, frankly, in this game last year, uh, and so uh, that they they realize that um, if if you want to, you know, if if you want to carry yourself as, uh, as the big brother, so to speak in this rivalry, uh, you got to back that up on the field. Uh, and maybe we'll hear a little bit more if, if Michigan wins the game this week, but, uh, so far they have been fairly quiet about it. Along those lines. I mean, last year, Joe Milton put up a Heisman trophy winning performance against Minnesota and everybody had him in their top three when we were ranking the Heisman contenders. And, and then uh, week two, uh, they get blasted, you know, by uh, at home by Michigan State. And then from the rest of the year, it almost seemed like there was a level of disinterest that was rec- unrecognizable from a typical Michigan program. But this year, it's it's completely changed. Like last year, didn't happen. It was like a rumor or something. What has happened to the Wolverines uh, since last December, and to make them look more like the type of program they should be? You know, they really set out in the offseason to change the whole energy around the program as much as you possibly can without changing the head coach. Pretty much everything around Jim Harbaugh has changed from the defensive coordinator to his staff to the recruiting department uh, to the roster. You know, there really were, were pretty big changes happening at Michigan through the offseason. I think the question that everybody had was, how quickly will will those changes pay off and what what reasonably can you expect for Michigan this year um you know it wasn't a complete rebuild they you know they, they didn't fire Jim Harbaugh they they didn't change everything but they changed a lot of things and i think the the general consensus going into this year was that you know this was one of those years where you're going to measure progress yeah you want to win uh, but you also want to see young players developing. You want to see the program taking a step forward. And you know, I really think Michigan has accelerated the timeline on that. Uh, I, I certainly didn't expect Michigan to be 7-0 and at this point. Schedule has helped them out. It's going to get a lot tougher over the next month. But I think the changes that, that Michigan made, especially with the coaching staff, really have, have paid off and have paid off more quickly than, than a lot of people expected. Mike McDonald, the job he's done with that, defense uh, to, to really put that unit back together after it completely fell apart last year. Uh, that, that's pretty impressive. And, and some of the assistant coaches on that defensive staff that are new really have, have brought a different energy, have brought a different vibe around the team. And, and so far uh, that that's paying off for them. You know, Colton, when we talked a couple of weeks ago, 
we, we, there was a lot of, we, we had a lot of in-depth discussion about the, the transfers and how Mel Tucker's changed the culture and done some, just some many great things to revive this program. And then since then, they've had a couple of bumps, but they've survived. You know, Nebraska, that second half, they were completely over, uh, you know, uh, overwhelmed at times, but then they ended up pulling it out, you know, with the, with the punt return. And then the Indiana game was, was a tough game for them. Uh, but they got they got through it. They won the spittoon. So were those just kind of your typical speed bumps you have during the course of the season, or is that is there something to be concerned about with the Spartans? Um, probably a little bit of both. Um, you know, I think good teams find ways to win, and uh, you know, Michigan State in that Nebraska game, they did get the punt return late to tie things up. Twenty twenty, you get a pick in overtime, kind of seal it with a field goal to win. You know, I didn't think they deserved to win that game, but you're going to have some of those along the way. Against Indiana, when the offense really couldn't get going, you know, Kenneth Walker was held to, you know, 80-something yards. And, you know, some of the big plays in the past game that we've seen, you know, in recent games weren't there in that game. And so I think what, what happened and what you saw in that one is, okay, now let's, let's shift our mindset. We'll rely on our defense. Defense played great in that game. Um, I think they gave up maybe like four and a half yards per play, something like that, which was phenomenal. Got some turnovers, got a pick six from Cal Halliday. And they found a way to win the game. And again, like some, there's some probably a little bit of cause for concern in some of those moments of, in the, some moments in those games. Um, but at the same time, that's kind of what good teams do. And I think some of that probably reflects on this team. It's like, okay, how legit are they? Right. When you see performances like that, it's like, all right, this team's two and five last year. How much of this is smoke and mirrors? How much of it is legit? Um, so I think this game will probably do a lot to kind of help determine that. Um, you know, the CFP rankings come out on Tuesday after the game. So I think the winner either side is probably going to be viewed in that picture more legitimate, more legitimately than they previously were. Um, so I think, yeah, this is going to be a big, big game. A lot of people are going to be watching, see if Michigan State is for real or not. And um, I think that's what we'll find out this weekend. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's talk running backs because I think that's going to be the the showcase position in this game. I mean, Michigan State may have the best uh, running back in the country, and Kenneth Walker the third. Seen him all the way from the very beginning against Northwestern. He looked dynamic. Michigan has two exceptional runners and Blake Corum and Hassan Haskins. And you know, does they, either team have an edge in this area? And, and Colton, we'll start with you with with Kenneth Walker and and just kind of the importance that he's had, and and also how does he. How does he handle the you know a pretty good Michigan run defense? Yeah, um, Kenneth Walker is so good that he's kind of alleviated some of the concerns with Michigan State's offensive line, which has been probably the biggest problem area of the last four or five years coming in this year. 
And, um, you know, I think when you have a player that good, it's natural to say, oh, yeah, he's going to go off and do his thing. But, you know, in a game like this against Michigan with, you know, guys like Aiden Hutchinson and those dudes up front, you know, I think Michigan State's offensive line is probably going to be the key of this game. They've got to create some holes for Kenneth Walker. In the two games that he was kind of bottled up a little bit, he did not have a lot of running lanes. Um, you know, his, his one of his biggest strengths is actually bouncing things out to the outside, using his vision and space to kind of set up moves, like, you know, two or three plays two or three steps ahead of time. Um, and he couldn't really do that with some of those teams that were kind of defending the edge as well and forcing him to run up the middle. And so I think that's probably the, a key for, for Michigan's defense against Kenneth Walker, defending him, um, you know, being physical against this offensive line. Michigan State actually has two offensive lines where they kind of rotate two different groups. Hmm. So I don't maybe this is a game where you kind of ride the hot hand instead of sticking with your you know rotation plan um, because I think they've got to play well. I think that's the key and. You know, basically, when Kenneth Walker goes, this offense goes. Um, when you have the threat of him running, that sets up play action, which quarterback Peyton Thorne has been phenomenal on play action this year. Um, that's how they connected on a lot of those big plays with Jaden Reed and Jalen Naylor on the outside. So I think the key is the offensive line and Kenneth Walker. If they can get going, this offense can get going for sure. And Austin, from your perspective, I mean, having that tag team there of, of Corman Haskins, how is that – kind of invigorated Michigan's offense, and, and what do you see for the challenges uh, going against Michigan State's defense for them? Yeah, those two guys really complement each other well. When you look at Haskins, who's more of the physical downhill runner, and Corum, who has, has the quickness and the elusiveness uh, and is really good on the edges. Uh, so, you know, I'm not sure either of, of of those guys on their own is equal to Kenneth Walker, but when you put them together, uh, I, I think it's a pretty evenly matched uh, matchup of running backs. And that's really what Michigan has built its offense around. And, and that's what they said they were going to do in the preseason. Uh, and I think, you know, there was some skepticism, frankly, when Josh Gaddis came out and said, we want to commit to running the ball this year, uh, because that's not necessarily uh, the way that we've seen teams recently in, in college football win at the highest level. Uh, but for this team, it's proved to be a pretty good formula. Kate McNamara takes care of the ball. Uh, he makes enough plays to keep the offense moving. But really, it's it's those two running backs that, that carry the load. And, and that offensive line for Michigan, similar to Michigan State's, I think, was a question mark going into the season, uh, but, but has played really well. And I think you know a lot is going to come down to the interior of that offensive line for Michigan because the two starting guards, Trevor Keegan and Zach Zinter, did not play against Northwestern. They've been working through some injuries. Not sure if they'll be able to go on Saturday. Uh, the guys behind them uh, are, are capable, uh, but the best lineup is with Keegan and Zinter on the field. And, uh, and Michigan State has some guys inside who, who can be disruptive. So a lot of it, I think, is going to come down to can Michigan's offensive line create enough space for for Quorum and Haskins to do what they've done all year. If there's one dynamic that could uh, impact the game, it's it's maybe Michigan's pass offense against Michigan State's pass defense. You know, when you look at the statistics, I mean, the Wolverines are 104th nationally in passing, but haven't had to pass that much. Uh, the Spartans are 121st against the pass and last in the Big Ten, but. Again, if Michigan can't pass, then it doesn't really matter. But uh, is there going to – will any of this come into play? And is there a level of concern for either team, um, you know, in that area? Start with you, Colton. Yeah, I think with Michigan State, you know, one of the things that you have to kind of factor in, I think, when you're looking at their defense is 
I think they've defended the most plays in the country um, on a per-game average. So some of those numbers might be skewed a little bit. Um, I think they're top 20 in against you know yards per attempt, which is probably more reflective of kind of the style of defense that they play, where um, you know they kind of have this bend out break kind of set up where uh, teams might have success moving the ball on them. They kind of play their corners back a little bit, so the underneath stuff is there for teams if they want it. And I think Cade McNamara can kind of take advantage of that, and, and they can move the ball. And if their running backs can finish in that red zone area, I think Michigan's offense can put points on this defense. But the other thing is, MCU's defense has been stingy in the red zone. So while they allow some of those yards and while they allow teams to get down there, um, I think they're top 25 in a red zone touchdown percentage for opponents' offense. So they kind of pride themselves on getting stops down there, limiting touchdowns, holding you to field goals, and kind of you know forcing you to kind of you know, change your game plan. And I think the best way to beat this defense is with an explosive offense. Um, I'm not sure Cade can give those plays for Michigan. You know, I think J.J. McCarthy, that was a lot of talk about him, you know, the young five-star freshman quarterback. Um, I wonder if he'll be more of a factor in this game than, than previous has, previously has been because he can give you those deep balls. He's got great arm, um, great arm talent to kind of make throws that Cade can't. So I wonder if he's going to be more of a factor in this game, um, especially when they get into that area down there. So, that's something I'm watching for sure when this game is played out Saturday. Austin, what do you think? Uh, you know, can we see McCarthy and, and will he make a difference? Yeah, I think it's a question of how much does Michigan trust him? They've taken it pretty slow with J.J. McCarthy. He's been you know, clearly the backup quarterback. He plays when Michigan has a big lead, and they will bring him in situationally, usually as a running quarterback. They have let him throw a little bit. But it, it was pretty apparent uh, going back to the preseason that Michigan trusted Cade McNamara to not lose the game, to not throw the interception, not throw the pick six, not, not get sacked and fumble. You know, the plays from a quarterback that will lose you a game are, are the plays that Cade McNamara does not make. And, you know, we've seen J.J. McCarthy make some throws that make you just kind of sit back in your seat and go, wow. Um, he's clearly, you know, he's clearly very talented. But the vibe I get is that Michigan just doesn't trust him yet to do everything. And a game like this on the road uh, in front of a really hostile crowd doesn't really feel to me like, the situation where you're going to just all of a sudden throw him in the deep end, unless you have to, if things are going bad for Michigan and they need a spark offensively, I do think that we could see JJ McCarthy play more in this game. But if, if Michigan had its way, I think they're going to do what they've done all year, which is just to tell Cade McNamara, make the throws you have to make, take care of the ball. Don't, don't kill us with mistakes. And, you know, Kate McNamara, uh, you know, he, he does get some flack for, you know, not being the most dynamic quarterback, which is, which is fair. Um, but he has also made some throws. You know, if, if you look at his yards per attempt, um, especially early in the year, it was, it was really good. Um, the last couple games, he's had more trouble connecting on, on the deep balls. And that is something that Michigan needs in its offense. Um, you know, their, their passing game is not super efficient. It's not a team that's going to go out and just get you know chunks of yards in the passing game, uh, one after another. But they can hit some big ones, uh, and they they need to hit a few of those because that's also what what opens up the running game to be as effective as it's been so far. Yeah, well, I'll get you guys out on this because I know you, it's busy, and I know what busy weeks are like. Um, what look? Let's look at the outcome in both situations. I mean, let's start with you, Colton. Um, what would a win mean for Michigan State? 
would it kind of validate the success of, of Mel Tucker right now? And then what is a what is a loss? What would it look like kind of going forward as far as uh, how do you, how do they not prevent it from snowballing because they got a tough schedule the rest of the way and and uh, and how would they regroup if that was to happen? Yeah, you know it's funny. A year ago, a win over Michigan was kind of this big recruiting tool. We saw them, you know, take the Paul Bunyan Trophy out when they're recruiting and and have guys on campus in June and things like that. That was something that Mel Tucker kind of knew that he needed in year one. Now when you're talking about this game and the expectations that this team has the rest of the way, this kind of sets sets you up, win or loss, for the rest of your season, right? So like with the college football playoff rankings coming out Tuesday after this game, um, the winner of this would probably be pretty high in those rankings, I would just I would imagine. Um, and also it sets you up for whether you can make it to the CFP or not. You know, this is about, you know, how far can this team go? Like 10 and two record. If your losses are against maybe Ohio state and Penn state, it probably gets you a pretty nice new year six bowl, you know, and, and things like that. And again, like you mentioned a loss, you know, they do have Purdue the next weekend. Purdue has a good defense. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to, if you win or lose this game, I think that next game is an important bounce back either way. Um, so yeah, I think for, for Michigan state and Mel Tucker, it's kind of about riding this momentum, you know, staying focused, um, and doing what you can to keep this momentum going because people are going to call you frauds if you lose this game. It's kind of, kind of that simple. That's kind of how we kind of viewed this game. Um, either either team is probably going to be labeled that way. So um, I think it's important for them to kind of, you know, finish the task at hand and, uh, you know, keep this momentum going. Yeah, that's totally true for Michigan too. It's, you know, this 7-0 and start, it, it's it been great. Fans have loved it. But you lose to Michigan State and you're going to hear the same thing about Michigan that it was a fraud that the you know that they benefited from from an easy schedule that this is still the same old Jim Harbaugh Michigan program that gets your hopes up and then lets you down in a big game and that's been the that's been a reputation that Michigan hasn't been able to shake during during Jim Harbaugh's time uh, and I don't I don't know if winning this game alone does it because you still got Penn State and you still got Ohio State on the schedule and uh, those games are going to deter- determine a lot for Michigan. Uh, but I think for Michigan, it's just all about, you know, they just want to keep this going. It's, it's been a, a fun ride for them so far and they're playing loose. They're playing with a lot of confidence. I mean, the, the vibe around the team is just so different. It's hard to describe how different this year has been from last year. And so Michigan, you, you know, you don't want to pinch yourself and wake up. You just want to keep enjoying this and, and winning this game for Michigan uh, gives you some more time to just keep this rolling and, and try to figure out a way uh, to, to win those games in November that have been really hard for Michigan in the past. Well, thanks to both of you for hopping on uh, with the for the big football show. And good luck and enjoy, uh, enjoy Saturday. And I always know on these big games that sometimes – Happiness is uh, looking at the stadium in the rearview mirror <laughs> after a long week. So uh, thanks for hopping on and uh, can't wait to talk to you guys again. Thanks, Scott. And we're back with the Big Ten football show. And this is Scott Dockerman. And I'm joined by our esteemed colleagues that cover Ohio State and Penn State, Bill Landis in Columbus and Audrey Snyder in Happy Valley, which I think now we're going to dub Unhappy Valley. Sad Valley, um, yes. Sad Valley. <laughs> Audrey, a couple weeks ago, you were in Iowa City for this great top five collision between the Hawkeyes and the Nittany Lions. And it turned out to be just a, you know, a whale of a game. And then 
afterwards it, it extended for part of the next week because of all the boo gate not just because Halloween was coming <laughs> uh, but then we saw what happened uh, last week against Illinois and what's been the, the re- reaction I don't know that I've seen one quite as crazy as hey James Franklin is uh, should get extended for 10 years like Kirk Ferentz or let's go get out of here go to LSU USC or some other directional school in the Midwest. You know, Scott, a lot has changed. Um, I think Iowa broke Penn State. I think in many ways, I mean, you look at it and you say, okay, you know, I the way that first half was going, I say, all right, Penn State's going to roll Iowa. It's looking like this is a top two team in the country. Obviously, Sean Clifford gets hurt. Penn State loses. Injury gate occupies my bye week and clearly occupied quite a bit of James Franklin's brain. Um, He had a very passionate statement about that during the bye week. And then, yeah, it just all kind of rolls into Illinois in which the 24-point favorite Nittany Lions trot out a clearly hobbled Sean Clifford because, Scott, believe it or not, and you saw Taquan Roberson like I did, like I'm sure Bill did as well watching that game, Mm -hmm. Um, he an injured Sean Clifford was Penn State's best option, which just speaks volumes about how that position has been recruited and apparently underdeveloped, if, if that's where you're at. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, you look at the I, – I think, you know, Nittany Lions fans are clearly un- understand football, no question. And and to see the, the lack of coaching, I think I, I would probably go with that. Mm-hmm. Um, when you go into the into halftime after, at Iowa, first of all, with Clifford out, um, 17 to 10, still an advantage. You still are doing a whale of a job on defense against the, against Penn State. Yet there seemed to be no clear plan for how are you going to attack with, uh, you know, a, a quarterback who just seemed to be in over his head. So then what do you do against Illinois, a team you probably could squeak out with a, with a backup quarterback? You don't put him in. You put in your injured guy and then you lose that game too. It just seems to me like there's, there's a lot of questions, and I think they're all right uh, about the coaching staff and their plans right now. Yeah, it's really it's a mess when you when you think about it, and the fact that again, Scott, they had two weeks to come up with a game plan for Taquan Roberson because they had that bye week, and so for two weeks, this was what you should have been scheming for, preparing for, giving him all the reps. Instead, we show up to practice last Wednesday, and Clifford's throwing, and it just became this whole thing of who's getting the one reps and how many are they getting. Um, I think it was like supposed to be split three ways, but no one really actually knows and or cares at this point who is getting the one reps um, because clearly they should have had more preparation. Um, But the thing is they still can't run the ball. That was an issue when they went to Iowa. That's been an issue all season. And this was a Penn state team that was supposed to be emphasizing the run game during the bye week. And I wrote it this week and a story that might not be considered too kind, depending how you're uh, looking at this Penn state situation, but I would hate to see the run game after a lack of emphasis if this is what it was after it was being emphasized for two weeks. And I think that's that's a problem. As the weather turns here, as they head to Columbus, um, you have to be able to run the ball, and Penn State cannot do that. Um, and again, this is an offensive line with three- and four-star kids, uh, so you can't tell me the same excuses that we've heard here for you know eight years now. This is James Franklin's eighth season. The offensive line has been problematic more than it's been good. Um, that's with a once in a generational running back in Saquon Barkley. That's with Miles Sanders. 
that's was that massive day in the Cotton Bowl. They've had issues all along. So, yeah, to me, you know, in the past two weeks, this season has been turned on its head for the Nittany Lions, uh, and they're now ranked 20th. And I don't know, Scott, Bill, like, I don't even know if this is a top 50 team right now after what they rolled out there against against Illinois. Well, uh, Bill, when I remember sitting in the Iowa State press box um, in the second weekend in September and watching – uh, Oregon put up 500 yards on the Buckeyes, and then they put up, you know, Tulsa put up 500 yards on Ohio State, and I'm wondering, okay, is this team going to have the kind of defense that uh, that can compete not only for a Big Ten title, but you know, really at a national stage, which is what it expects to? Um, what happened here? What you know, they seem to make moves that are rare. I would say in college sports, you know, moving some people around to make different calls, but they, you know, they held Indiana at 128 yards last week. So what were the changes made and, and are these long lasting? I mean, can they really propel them, you know, through the next month of the season? That is the lingering question, I think, for everybody here, because you're right. They, they did make um, substantial changes. Like they, they basically scrapped what was their base defense and have a totally new base defense now, which I think, like you said, is, is unheard of and, and was unexpected for me. I figured – Maybe they'd play some different guys. Um, maybe you'd see a tweak here or there. But no, they they demoted their defensive coordinator, Kerry Combs, who's no longer calling the plays. Matt Barge is calling the plays now. And then they play a, essentially a totally different style of defense. Now, some of it is stuff that we've seen from them in the past, um, a little bit of things they did last year, like kind of as a changeup. And then some of it is, is frankly totally new, and I'm not entirely sure how they were able to install it in such a short period of time. I, I suppose it helps that coming off that Tulsa game, you play Akron and Rutgers and uh, a banged up Maryland team who otherwise maybe would have a better offense, but was shorthanded that day. Um, you have a bye week in there and you, you play Indiana who at one point was playing a walk on a quarterback in that game. Cause they're also shorthanded. So they've been helped a little bit, certainly by the opponent that they've played. And, and I think that's why some people, myself included are, are a little reticent to, to fully embrace this as a transformed defense. But I think even, even if it's not, the shutdown defense that it looked like it was the other night in, in Bloomington, I still think it is in a much better place than it was. And on top of that, they also have a bunch of younger players who kind of looked in over their head in the first couple of weeks and I think have settled into roles and their defensive line looks more like what you would expect an Ohio State defensive line to look like, which was also not the case um, in the first few games. So there was a lot of things that that changed to, to try to get this defense pointed back in the right direction. Um, I think it's it's certainly playing better. Whether or not it's it's championship caliber, I think remains to be seen. And the unfortunate thing is, like, no offense to anyone listening to this podcast, I'm not totally sure when they're going to play an offense that's going to give us a clear answer on that. Perhaps Michigan State. I don't think it's going to be this week, um, especially if Sean Clifford is is not 100. Um, percent Maybe it's Michigan. I don't know. Nebraska can do some some funky stuff with its offense, but. Uh, I think there's always going to be a little bit of unease here with this defense until Ohio State gets to the playoff, if that's where they ultimately end up. That sounds like a good problem to have, Bill. Yeah, right. (laughs) I would say Purdue, just judging from what I've seen now. Granted, that was was one of those games that kind of like the Penn State-Illinois game. This one kind of came out of nowhere in some ways. But they do have some challenges through the air. David Bell's an exceptional receiver. I, I would like to pick your brain at some point just as a how does he compare with Garrett Wilson, with um, Chris Olave, you know, Jahan Dotson, because 
Um, I do vote on the All-American team. I'm going to have to do some sort of a pecking order because it can't be all Big Ten receivers. In fact, I'm usually lucky to get one on that area. But uh, it would be uh, it would be pretty funny if the Big Ten, which I think everyone derides for its lack of offense, had all the first team All-American receivers. <laughs> be quite a statement, yeah. You know, but the thing is, when you look at the real All-American team, which comes out in late April and then early May next year, you know, over a three-day period you're probably looking at three or four first-team wide receivers, yeah, first-round sure. wide receivers. So in some ways, it's like, well, this kid from North Texas caught 88 passes, and and he only caught 53 for Ohio State. Well, yeah, but he averaged 21 pack, you know, yards per reception, and they won the national title. The other guy, uh, you know, just got a bunch of yards for a 6-6 six and six team. But, hey, let's go with him because he caught more passes. <laughs> anyway, I digress. Uh, Bill, I, I want to ask you about quarterback, and that is, uh, you know, from watching the Buckeyes for all these years, usually from afar, because Iowa and, and Ohio State aren't even in the same league anymore. I don't know, but they've only played twice since they've split into divisions. But uh, it seems like the Buckeyes are able to just kind of insert a new quarterback, and voila, he's the best in the Big Ten. Braxton Miller, Cardale Jones, JT Barrett, Dwayne Haskins. Joey Burke, well, not him, uh, <laughs> Justin Fields, <laughs> and now C.J. Stroud. Um, how good is he? Is he in the same discussion as the others at this point in his career? And he's good enough to give the Buckeyes a shot at, at getting to where they want to be in the playoff. Yeah, I think I think if you compare where C.J. is to where all those guys were at this point in their career, I think he's about on par. Um, he's playing as a redshirt freshman who basically didn't play at all last year. So I would still consider him a true freshman, even though this is second year in the program. And like Justin Fields had played a little bit of Georgia before he got here. So I think he was a little more experienced. Um, Dwayne Haskins was in the program for two years and had, had played, um, some significant snaps in his second year before he became the full-time starter. So he started in a different place than CJ did. CJ really kind of started from, from square one here because last year was so weird and he didn't get, he had a few snaps, but didn't throw any passes. Um, so I, I think he is probably about where you would expect him to be, but, but certainly seems to be ascending here the last few weeks. He did not play against Akron. He rested uh, what was a sore, a sore, excuse me, throwing shoulder um, and an injury that I did think was impacting him a little bit early on. I also think that maybe he was, I don't know if not ready for the moment is not quite the right way to say it, but I, I think he maybe had some jitters there against Minnesota and Oregon as well, combined with that injury. And he seems past that. He seems past the injury. And he's really been throwing the ball really well the last few weeks, making making some tough, I think, high-level throws over the middle of the field that I'm not sure many young quarterbacks would make. Um, he's not the athlete of Justin Fields. Few people are. Uh, I, I think he can run, though, if, if asked to. He's not been asked to do it much uh, this year. Um, but he really does seem to have a, a command of the offense, which, of course, has helped when you have Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave and Jeremy Ruckert and, and Trevion Henderson. But uh, Tom Allen said it after the game. He said, you know, this offense is always good. There's playmakers all over the place. And when that quarterback is playing the way that kid's playing right now, they're really hard to beat. So so C.J. Stroud has elevated his game and in turn has elevated Ohio State's offense to something that that's tracking, at least statistically, is like something we've never seen here before. Like if, if this continues, this will be the best offense from a number standpoint that Ohio State's ever had. That's incredible, wow. considering That's what we've seen <laughs> over the years. I'm sure they get they do get some better defenses, including Penn State this week. But um, if Penn State can't run the ball, like you know, Audrey, then mm-hmm. you're giving up possessions, threes and outs, and and then you get it. You know, could get ugly. Yeah, neither team is really up on time of possession. But if you're Ohio State, 
scoring in uh, six, seven plays. Why do you need it? You know, it's not like it's Wisconsin or anything. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Audrey, what does Penn State have to do to, to pull off this upset uh, if they can? I know we're, we're pretty knee-jerky. We don't see sometimes things like this coming. We always just kind of live in the moment. But is there a way that Penn State could pull off the upset? And if so, how? That's a great question. And I think it's one that the coaching staffs can be racking their brain over across town in the Lash Building trying to figure out all week. I mean, I, I guess the one thing, and I know Bill and I have talked about this before, is like, these two teams, even when it doesn't make sense, they always seem to match up well. Like for whatever reason, um, there haven't been too many blowouts. Now we have seen some blowouts here um, over the years, but typically that hasn't been the case. And I guess if you're Penn State, you think back to Jahan Dotson last year, right? His performance against Ohio State was massive. And I just remember, I mean, he was making ridiculous catches and you're saying, okay, this is, again, a a game that Penn state had no business being a part of um, the way the season was going for them at that point, you know, it ended up being their second loss because one loss always seems to snowball into two around here, Scott. That's a, that's a theme that's reemerged uh, this season now, but yeah, I, I mean, I think if, if Penn state, your defense is going to have to somehow keep you in the game. And that's where I think this thing really goes off the rails because what we've seen out of this offense, the last two weeks, or, or I guess you could say, the game and a half, you know, you take the, the Taquan Roberson half. Um, this offense has struggled and struggled mightily. And the fact that James Franklin did say that Sean Clifford felt great on Sunday after getting sacked four times and that he will be a hundred percent this week. Um, I don't think we buy that necessarily because he clearly did not look a hundred percent. I don't know how someone then gets hit and plays a game and looks better after that. But yeah, the defense is going to have to keep them in it. Maybe special teams. Maybe maybe you get Jahan Dotson as a punt returner if you accidentally punt him the ball and not away from him. I mean, I think that's a way. But just based off of what we've seen from Penn State's offense and the inability to run the ball, now they've got injuries piling up um, both on the offensive line and the defensive line. I struggle to see how they keep up, Scott. I really do. Well, what do you think? I mean, how, how can Penn State make this a tough game for Ohio State? I think I would start with where, where Audrey started, started with Jahan Dotson. Um, he did have a huge game last year against against Ohio State. Now, I think, if I'm not mistaken, almost all of that was in the second half. Mm-hmm. Ohio State got up big um, and then kind of took its foot off the gas a little bit, I thought, which was kind of Ohio State's MO for all of last year. Uh, they just did the same thing against Indiana, did a similar thing against Nebraska in, in its season opener. Um, thus far, they have not shown themselves to, to be that kind of team, so maybe that's a little different. But 
I do think Ohio State's corners, while people here really like them and are particularly bullish on on a kid named Denzel Burke, who's a true freshman who's who's kind of starting when no one ex- expected him to. They have not really been tested all that much. They've not seen a receiver like Jahan Dotson. Well, I guess you could say they see receivers like that in practice every day. But but in a game, they have not seen anyone <laughs> quite like Jahan Dotson. Um, so I'm kind of curious about how that goes. Uh, you know, obviously you need the quarterback to get him the ball, but I do think that could be a tough matchup for Denzel Burke if he gets it, if Seven Banks gets it, or if Cameron Brown, who's been kind of in and out with an injury, gets gets um, some snaps on Jahan Dotson. I think all three of those guys will at some point be tested by him. And Penn State's got other good receivers too. So right. I think that's one place where you look. And and the thing I remain curious about, and I'm I'm like slightly disappointed that we didn't didn't get to see it last week because Indiana blitzed Ohio State on just about every snap last year and then didn't really do that last week. And and we still have not really seen how C.J. Stroud performs when he's kind of under duress for an entire game. Now, Ohio State's offensive line is excellent. I think it, it could be perhaps the best in college football. They do a really good job of protecting him. He's been kept clean, I think, more than most quarterbacks in the country. But we all know that Penn State's got a pretty aggressive defense, too. So if they decide that they're going to come after C.J. Stroud in a way that, that teams have not yet come after him, maybe that could throw him off his game a little bit. Um, but even with that, I still think like you got to hold that offense, I think, to under like 30 points to have a shot. And I'm not sure if there's a defense out there other maybe than Georgia right now who can do that with the way this offense is playing. Yeah, I would say, yeah, I, I think it would be, you know, Iowa's held, I think, what is it now, like 38 got teams or 28 teams under 24 points. I don't think it would do that either. Um, I, I am interested, though. Haskell Garrett has turned out to me to be one of the dominant defensive tackles maybe north of Georgia, certainly, and then the country. How is he – I mean, that that seems like to me he's going to be a very difficult matchup for, for Penn State and their offensive line and what they want to do in the running game. How good is he, first of all, Bill? And, and Audrey, how do they handle him? Yeah, I think he's he's really good, and, and he started to come on a little more here the last few weeks. I, w- I would say that maybe his start to the season was not quite what we expected it to be, but he's played well lately. I, I think that that loss to Oregon – kind of kicked it in the gear for him, you know, as, as a senior who's not going to play anymore after this year, you know, the team's back is against the wall. And I think a guy like that feels it the most. So he's played really well. Um, it's been a little bit of a struggle for them. I think to find someone sort of to play in tandem with him, they were so good last year with him and Tommy Togiai. That was one of the best defensive tackle tandems in the country last year. And they're, they're kind of feeling their way through finding a guy who can play alongside Haskell and be consistently um, kind of an impact player. I think perhaps that guy is, is, Another true freshman named Tyleek Williams, who just seems to flash every time he's in there. His pressure numbers are off the charts. He's an incredible athlete who's like 6'2", 330 pounds and moves really well. He looks like some of these SEC guys who are just, you know, freaky athletic when they when they're built like you know, almost offensive linemen rather than defensive linemen. So um, but but to go back to your main point, Haskell has played well. And I know, Audrey, like. Penn State is, is kind of mixing and matching a little bit with its interior offensive lineman, right? So I don't know if I'd want to be in that position to go up against Haskell Garrett. They got him right where they want him, Bill. Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Penn State in, in the second half, they moved Juice Scruggs over from guard to center, took center Mike Miranda from Stowe, Ohio, took uh, Miranda from center and, and bumped him out the guards. And James Franklin did say Tuesday at his news conference that there's some weeks where maybe they're going to feel better about matchups um, that maybe they'll have Miranda at guard and not at center. Um, but I think bill, they probably start making that move because of this. Like, I think this is one of those things where you look at it and you say, okay, 
you got to get Scruggs reps at center in games. Um, long-term, he's going to be your answer beyond this year. But, yeah, Miranda's really had a rough go, go of it this year. Um, this offensive line, I might say that in terms of run blocking, this is the worst uh, offensive line that Penn State's had in the last at least five years in terms of run blocking. They've been a lot better in, in pass protection this year, but the run blocking has been really, really bad. Um, so, I mean, I, I just, I don't, again, you can't run the ball. You're becoming one dimensional. You've got Sean Clifford who's banged up. Like, I just don't see how Clifford is even going to be able to get a ton of passes away. I mean, maybe you get back to the quick game, which is I think what Penn state kind of has to do. Uh, but yeah, this is going to be a really tall, tough task for this offensive line. I mean, the thing that I still cannot fully wrap my head around is when you look at it, I mean, Penn State, both of their offensive tackles, um, and these were highly touted recruits, Rashid Walker coming into this year, the left tackle, we're all like, yeah, this guy's probably going to be a first round pick. And it just has not played out that way. And I can't exactly tell you why either, Bill. Like that's kind of the, the crazy weird thing about all of this. Um, it's just this offensive line is clearly a work in progress. And I don't know, and I don't think you can correct that in a week. You know, it just, it seems like this is going to be a really tall order for him. Now, how would, you know, it, it, when you're looking, Audrey, at the potential of a three-game losing streak in the middle of the season, I mean, one game is a coin flip game. We, we've talked about, I know people on, thousands of people on Twitter have, Come after both of us on the Penn State Iowa <laughs> mishaps. It's afterwards. been enough to give us both headaches, right? Yes, I'm like I, I'm glad the series is over now. <laughs> I loved it before, but, now, uh, but you know, a tough game there last week. A big major upset. I mean, nobody expected Illinois to go in and you know compete, let alone win, and then losing a game that I think everybody probably expected them to lose at, at Ohio State. If they if they lose three straight, and there's no chance at Big Ten title, so they can't get their rematch with Iowa that they want so bad. They can't get uh, to go to, uh, you know, probably go in the Outback Bowl or something like that. How are people going to take this, and what does this mean for James Franklin? Not well, Scott. That's how they're going to take it. Not well. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think you're, you're exactly right. If they end up out of this weekend five and three, they still have to play Michigan and Michigan State. And that, to me, is the other part. I mean, of course, you've got Maryland in there, which Penn State did lose to Maryland last year. And they also got to play Rutgers. Everything to me right now, everything is in question. And James Franklin, I asked him point blank Tuesday. Um, he he was asked about Penn State. They're replacing their president this year, Eric Barron. So the, you know the hierarchy, the power structure is going to change. And so he said something along the lines of, you know, you'd like to know what the future holds with that position. To which I followed up and said, um, does that mean you plan to be here beyond this year? And he didn't say yes, Scott, which has been his theme with, with all of this. Um, he, he hasn't publicly committed to it. And so you have to wonder about the USC speculation. Of course, that became a hot rumor this week regarding James Franklin and changing agents to Jimmy Sexton from Trace Armstrong. James Franklin has changed agents, but he said that it actually happened in the summer. And just now it's kind of leaking out or becoming more public. But yeah, I mean, you look at this and you say, okay, this is a team last year that goes four and five. You're, you're willing to give them a pass because of COVID. And you say, yeah, they didn't have time to install their offense or this offensive line with these new techniques that Phil Troutwine was, was teaching. They didn't have spring ball. But now you say, I say, I think of it and say, well, how is this going to get any better? Um, yes, they do have a highly regarded recruiting class. 
obviously, if James Franklin isn't here, that takes a hit. Uh, but you're going to lose a lot of key pieces next year as well. I mean, yes, technically Sean Clifford could come back for another year. Who knows? Um, he'd be, I believe, 24 at that point. So, yeah, I mean, I just look at it and you say you're you're probably set up to lose a lot of pieces, and it, you just wonder if that window of opportunity for Penn State, one that two and a half weeks ago I said still looked open, you just wonder now if it's it's become closed. And so, yeah, I mean, the whole – perception around here, the whole mood and vibe of this town has completely changed uh, just in a matter of weeks. And, and along those lines, it, it seems like there's that USC speculation is that if there's smoke, there's always fire and that sort of thing. But if they lose to Michigan and Michigan State or even one of them, and then plus Ohio State and they're eight and four, does USC even want it? Does USC say, How well, desperate are they at that point, right? <laughs> it looks like a lot better option. And then you're then you're stuck with him in some ways. And I, I think, Bill, you, you know, you, you went to Penn State, correct? Am I right? I did, yeah. yeah. Yep. So <laughs> what's your thoughts on this? I mean, you know, what have you seen near and far? Yeah, I mean, I, I a lot of uh, friends of mine who are, who are Penn State fans, I think, are kind of tired of, of this every year. Like it's – and, you know, I get it. It's kind of the game and, and you want to make more money and, you know, you get your name out there and it all makes business sense to me. But at some point, if you're Penn State, I just feel like – just go, man. Like we're tired, we're tired of doing this every year. If you want to flirt with somebody every off season, like I, I think, you know, if I'm Penn State, I would want to find somebody who's not going to do that. And, and I, maybe part of that is is that Penn State is perhaps not quite as high a caliber of program in, in the sense where you know people would still want to want to look to move on from there. Like I think, like you know, a place like Ohio State, like you're at Ohio State, you want to stay at Ohio State unless you're going to go to the NFL. Um, if you're a Penn State, maybe there's another level above that, and perhaps there are some people at Penn State for whom that's hard to grasp grasp at times. Um, but even with that, I still think you don't want a head coach who's who's been there eight years, and it feels like you know for the last four, we uh, you know they've been doing this. You know, is is he going to go? Is he going to stay? And I know Audrey, he's there's been some commitments made from the university right mm-hmm. to try to you know entice him to stay. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think at some point you can only do so much, right? And and if that's still happening. I think it might be better for everybody to kind of just cut ties and, and find somebody else who perhaps won't treat that job as a stepping stone in quite the same way. Yeah. I think Bill, the, the analogy I always make to people when I try to explain kind of the, this interesting predicament that Penn state finds itself in is like, I think of it as the giving tree, right? If you guys read that book when you were little, you just keep taking, taking the tree gets down um, and it ends up in this like really sorry state and I think with Penn State, I mean, yes, like there is validity that their facilities have not been great. And James Franklin made that a point of emphasis as soon as he got here. They've continuously put money into it. Um, they've, you know, he's gotten more money for his assistant coaches. The other part of this, um, the assistant coach salary pool is something that we don't know, right? Because Penn State doesn't make these contracts public. So I can't tell you how much their coordinators are making. But I believe it's a very safe assumption that both coordinators are making a million dollars or more. Um, also, keep in mind, Penn State is paying the buyout for Kirk Sharaka, who isn't here this year after he got fired. So technically, you might be paying two million for two offensive coordinators right now. Um, so, so that's kind of the, the other side of this is, yes, Penn State has been behind. Yes, they've made financial commitments. Yes, James Franklin has done a heck of a lot of good things and done it a lot faster than people could have imagined. But this whole Willy Wony song or dance, um, 
it gets old for, for everybody. I mean, I don't particularly enjoy asking him every year if he's going to be here next year, but it just seems like that's where we're at. Um, and so I think the other thing, if you're Penn State, you've got 31 varsity athletic teams. That's a lot. I mean, that's that's more than most places. And so you say, okay, you're coming out of a pandemic as well. So can you keep giving more to one program? You can make the argument, of course, that yes, football is your cash cow and you should. Um, so it's really, I feel like just this interesting dynamic here where you've got people who, again, Penn State with a facility uh, improvement in February of 2021, it was passed by the board, but those who said no um, to the project were people who were very vocal about it. I mean, Jay Paterno, who's on Penn State's board of trustees, um, said, you know, hey, he didn't support this project. He wasn't of the mind that needed to happen. So you still have these factions of the fan base that, and, you know, of the board that have been here for various regimes and their views are kind of a representation of that. Yeah, it is fascinating. I think in some respects, I mean, you know, comparing to the pros to, to colleges, I mean, there's so much emotion attached to college athletics, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and in a place like Penn state, which had insane stability for so many years, and even really the place where I'm at, where you've had two coaches over, 43 years, it's, it's, you know, you get an attachment and you want that as a, as a, and I think if you got a guy at Penn state, which is an elite job, it may not be Ohio state or Alabama or USC in some ways, but really it's in the top 10 mm-hmm. that you want somebody who could, I want to be here. I don't care about anywhere else. And, and to have James Franklin constantly say this, and then you have Mike Tomlin just down the road <laughs> saying never say never, but never. Um, on yeah, I don't think Mike Tomlin was holding out for Penn State there today, Scott. <laughs> no, but uh, you know, and, and just down the road for me is Matt Campbell, who has been yeah. spec, you know, speculation central, but he has never really addressed you know, publicly. He doesn't do what James does. I mean, he just well, I'm not worried. About it. I'm worried about this, and he sticks around. Eventually, he's probably going to leave, and and he would be wherever he goes, he will be all in, and he'll be beloved. You know, and, and I think Penn State would be a great place for him if that's where he would end up because he fits the, you know, the culture. He's just got kind of this blue collar background and and uh, but he's also, you know, very enthusiastic. And uh, so, you know, what's I know he I, like on access, Scott? That's all we care about. <laughs> uh, not bad. Not bad. Um, not awesome, but not bad. So great. So, yeah, just like everybody else, it seems like, so, <laughs> you know. Bill, one one last point on all of this is, uh, you know, we haven't really talked about it, is what happens if there is an upset? Um, yep. That probably knocks out the Buckeyes from the playoff. Uh, not necessarily the Big Ten championship game, but um, what would happen then? Yeah, it would be it would be truly fascinating. Ohio State hasn't hasn't lost two games in a regular season uh, since since 2017, and and they're at a I don't want to say crossroads, but but we do. Or I'm sure everyone does it. But, you know, we, we talk about Ohio State. We kind of try to compare it to what's happened in past seasons, and and you know the recent history of Ohio State taking an early loss has has gone two very different ways. Um, in, in 2014, they got their stuff together, like ascended throughout the entire season, and won a national championship when no one expected that of them. And then in 2017, they lost to Oklahoma at home in the second week. Uh, looked dysfunctional on offense. People were questioning whether or not JT Barrett should have been the guy. They stuck with JT. They they kind of got turned around a little bit. We're playing well. 
played a great game against Penn State at home and beat them, and then went on the road the next week to Iowa and got their doors blown off. And, and as you're well aware of, Scott. So um, I, I I I tend to think that that second example is is rather unlikely for this team. Um, you know, Ryan Day's not been here a long time, but but in the time he's been here, he's not really shown himself to be susceptible to a loss against a team that you would look at and say, like, there's no way that team should be competitive with Ohio state. Um, even, even Oregon this year, I think Oregon's a pretty solid team. Um, so that, that loss wasn't, wasn't totally shocking. You know, people don't handle losses around here all that well. So, so that was, you know, par for the course after they lost that game, but it's, it's not unfathomable that Ohio state would lose to Oregon. Um, but it would be unfathomable. I think for Ohio state to lose really to anyone else remaining on its schedule, when, when the margin for error is essentially non-existent now. So if they were to lose again, uh, I don't know. I would, I would be, uh, rather busy, I think <laughs> for, for the few weeks after that, yeah. um, this, this place would be burning to the ground a, a little bit because the expectation here is you can't lose more than once. You have to be in the playoff and you have to contend for a national title. And, and obviously that would probably be off the table if they were to lose again. So, um, we'll see. I, I, I think they have it pointed back and, in the right direction where, where I I'm not, I'm not thinking they're going to slip up again, but you know, Penn, Penn state, if it can get its stuff together is a legitimate opponent. I think Michigan and Michigan state are going to present challenges and then Purdue and Nebraska are still on the schedule. And while you look at those records maybe and think, well, that'll be an easy cakewalk for Ohio state. Like those two teams, when they've played well this year have looked pretty good. So um, I think there's uh, landmines is probably too strong of a word, but I don't think those are games you just, you know, kind of gloss over either. So um, it's tough. The second half of the schedule is really tough for Ohio State, but but I, I tend to think now that we're seeing kind of what we've seen every year over the last decade, which is Ohio State's pretty clearly the class of the conference, and I think that'll play itself out here over the next month or two. That is fascinating because the, the 2017 game, which seemingly came out of nowhere, but you look back and I think that game, there were 15 players were drafted in either first or second round and six of them were from Iowa. So the, yes. you know, the tight ends yeah. were pretty good. Uh, you know, some of the defensive players, certainly Josh Jackson, who's flopped in the NFL, but he's, he was pretty good that day. And it, you know, and it very well could be the same type of matchup in the championship game if it get there, which is, you know, an incredible secondary that takes the ball away at a rate that nobody can really, you know, fathom in some ways. But it has an offense that's even more challenged than Audrey's uh, team. <laughs> yeah, that, is, uh, that might be true now. Yes, that might be true. Yeah, but uh, this this weekend I've got the a game that's if they if either team I, it wouldn't surprise me if neither team got out of single digits in Iowa Wisconsin it could be a nine to six type of game maybe. But I hope you're it, blessed with nine overtime, Scott. <laughs> nine to six. The, nine uh, the, the total for that game is like thirty six and a half or something, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, hey, I covered 10 to 6 between these two teams uh, a couple of years ago, I don't know, 2015. And it very well could be in that same category, except for one thing. And that is um, Iowa is plus 12, which is third in the country. And Wisconsin's minus eight, which is 124th. So I, that's why I kind of think Iowa is probably a little bit better situation. They get four interceptions on Graham Mertz. I, I don't think that Wisconsin can come back from that. But yeah. yeah. Well, enjoy your rock fight, Scott. <laughs> I always do, but hey, I get it. I can go get some spotted cow, Audrey. So Oof, uh, I'm jealous now. I'm very <laughs> jealous. But nice I will. Card. Yeah, but I will not uh, partake in any pictures with any cutouts of Aaron Rodgers. But, 
Well, thanks so much to both of you for joining us and, uh, and also to Austin and Colton. And, and, uh, and for all of you, our legends and listeners, thanks for subscribing. Please rate and review us five stars like Ari, uh, favorite prospects. So for, uh, all of you, this is Scott Dockerman and we will talk again soon.